Sooner or later, you can bet your life that every Jew in this building is going to say the same thing. He's a little too Jewish for my taste. <laughs> Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest this morning from Jerusalem is Rabbi Andrew Green, who recently completed the conversion of an entire community of Messianic Christians to Judaism, led by their pastor in Sholo, Arizona. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at 2jewishradio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at 2jewishradio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on 2Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. 2Jewish is paid for by 2Jewish radio programs and podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and 2Jewish. Shalom. While it's occasionally nice to be right about predicting the future, there is no comfort in acknowledging this morning that my prediction that the sympathy for Israel after the horrific and utterly brutal terrorist attack on its civilians would last for just a week before world opinion suddenly pivoted to the suffering of the Gaza civilians. Of course, the terrible situation in Gaza would never have occurred had Hamas not chosen to use unarmed civilians as human shields and propaganda pawns in its genocidal efforts to murder Jews and destroy Israel. And if Hamas had not perpetrated the worst and most inhumanly brutal terrorist attack just about in Middle East history on October 7th. Okay, there's a lot of such terrible attacks in Middle East history, but certainly in Israel's history. While Israelis, Jews, and people all around the world mourn the Hamas war criminals' murder of 1,400 children, women, men, babies, the elderly, all at the hands of these Palestinian terrorists of Hamas, while the families of 199 innocent people, including small children, the elderly, peace activists, and Holocaust survivors, desperately wait to see if their family members, friends, and loved ones are still alive in captivity in Gaza, where they were dragged by these deeply evil Palestinian terrorists, while thousands of wounded try to recover in Israeli hospitals, public opinion and media coverage predictably turned against Israel. Israel is allowed to suffer brutally and to receive some sympathy for that but is not allowed to protect itself against the butchers by attacking their strongholds, apparently. The latest awful event last week in Gaza took place on the eve of President Biden's solidarity trip to Israel. It was the destruction of a hospital in Gaza City. It was the result of a rocket launched by the Palestinian Islamic Jihad in another one of its attempts to murder Israeli civilians, probably. The Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket misfired and killed hundreds of its own people and destroyed a Palestinian hospital. That is, the Palestinians accidentally, perhaps, murdered many of their own people, and then Hamas falsely immediately blamed Israel. The Arab world predictably erupted in riots, often in front of American embassies, 
blaming Israel for something they had perpetrated on their own people. That destroyed hospital, the wounded and dead of all ages, is awful and horribly sad. But the question we must ask is, why was Israel blamed when Israel does not target hospitals or schools, even when Hamas uses them to hide rocket launchers and terrorist murderers? Shouldn't the world suspect Hamas and Islamic Jihad would intentionally murder its own people just in order to blame Israel? Isn't that essentially what they do all the time? Use civilian human shields and sacrifices to protect their own terrorists? Perhaps this will make it clearer. Israel uses its military to try to protect its civilians. Hamas uses its civilians to protect its terrorists. And apparently, sometimes they slaughter many of them just to make a propaganda point. Please, remember, Hamas fighters are not militants. They are terrorists. They are not freedom fighters. They are brutal, murderous terrorists who wish to extinguish civilization who seek the genocide of the Jews, who force their own people to serve as human sacrifices to their own barbarous vision of an avenging deity. These are not militants. They are not freedom fighters. They are terrorists. Enough with this coded language. My friends, this has been a very hard time. It is likely to get worse. I mean, this is the Middle East. Things can always get worse. But one thing is certain. Israel will ultimately prevail. Because when faced with evil and those who seek your total destruction, you have no choice but to use all of your strength, all of your skill, all of your materials, all of your unity to protect yourself and eliminate this wickedness from the world. It is also clear that Israel is united in this shared duty, that world Jewry is also united in support of Israel. There is no simple solution, and this war will last a while. But there is only one option at this point, to fight it out until justice is achieved. The captives are redeemed, and Israel is safe. Play us in this morning. Here's Yaakov Shweki singing Am Yisrael Lo Lefachem. The people of Israel shall not fear. <laughs> Sherzar, <laughs> 
That was Am Yisrael lo lefached, the people of Israel have no fear. You know, for those people that think the BDS movement, boycott, divestments, and sanctions is some sort of liberation effort to protect the Palestinian people, all you need to know is that the day after the brutal, horrific attacks, they praised the Hamas liberators. That's just sick. Our guest on Two Jewish this morning is Rabbi Andy Green, a conservative rabbi who recently completed the conversion of an entire community of Messianic Christians to Judaism, led by their pastor in Sholo, Arizona. It's a remarkable story, and Rabbi Green joins us in just a moment here on Two Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. This is Judaism offers everything you ever wanted to know about Judaism, but we're afraid to ask. Who is Abraham? What is the Torah? How long have Jews been around? What do Jews believe about life after death? In three fun, inexpensive, informative sessions, This is Judaism brings you the joy of Jewish life and learning. You'll study with Rabbi Sam Kohan and learn what Jewish values, spirituality, and community are all about. Plus, you can get a sample of delicious Jewish foods. Classes are at the Tucson JCC, the J, and are open to everyone, Jewish or not. Best of all, This is Judaism is completely free, but the learning is invaluable. Want to know what your new Jewish relatives are all about? Want your kids to understand Jewish heritage, history, and holidays? Want to try some delicious Jewish food? Then This is Judaism is for you. There's no charge, but you must pre-register by calling 520-276-5675. Visit BeitSimchaTucson.org or email rabbi at BeitSimchaTucson.org. This is Judaism is taught on three consecutive Sunday afternoons in September and October at the Tucson JCC. There's a free Zoom option, but registration is required. All classes are with Rabbi Sam Kohan. Remember, there's no obligation and registration is completely free for this wonderful introduction to Jewish life. Register for This is Judaism by calling 520-276-5675. It's the most effective introduction to Jewish learning and life ever. For your very own entry or return to Judaism, visit BeitSimchaTucson.org or call 520-276-5675. We are delighted to welcome the two Jewish our guests this morning, Rabbi uh, Andrew Green. Well, he's got quite a story to tell about some conversions of an entire community here in Arizona. 
Um, good morning and welcome to Two Jewish. Thank you. Thrilled to be with you. So uh, uh, this is not your average story of gay root um, in America that I can think of. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the origins of it and, and how you got involved? Sure. I uh, was contacted by some of the leaders of the community in Sholo, Arizona, which is uh, a rural uh, area in the mountains, about three hours driving from where I live in Scottsdale in the Phoenix area. It's in the White Mountains. It's it, You drive through there on the way to going skiing is my main and, and for a summer break. It's a nice part of the Nice part of the state. Absolutely. It, it's definitely cooler there than it is here throughout the year. Uh, one of the, 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 the truth is the community was already in the process of conversion. And one of the things that um, the different online uh, programs on Jewish education and the conservative movement uh, requires that you find essentially a sponsoring a rabbi. sponsoring rabbi so before you go a bit There team, is a right. person that, um, that you can consult about questions of Jewish law and practice, and also a person who can help make the appropriate arrangements when the time comes to um, to conduct the physical elements of the conversion, including the um, the Hatafat Dam and law for those that need it, uh, that's the rituals uh, concerning circumcision, and, um, and also to arrange for the immersions in the mikvah and the rabbinic court to oversee that. And so uh, that's how initially... I was connected with this community. Uh, they cold called the synagogue, and uh, and I called them back, and we started a conversation and a dialogue, and uh, it's been an extraordinary blessing uh, to be able to shepherd and guide uh, these remarkable souls into the covenant of the Jewish people. So uh, it's not unusual for some of us to do conversions. Um, I've probably personally been the sponsoring rabbi for, I don't know, between 500 and 700 conversions in my time in Arizona, which is a lot, but I've never had the experience of bringing an entire community in. Um, this is exceptional in that respect. Yeah, what happened here is we have uh, the case of an individual, in this case, particularly Richard Cortez and his wife, Alpha, who determined that they wanted to pursue the path of, um, of becoming Jewish. And... Uh, and they had previously, Richard had been functioning as the pastor of this community that was a, a Messianic Jewish community, which is uh, a word that doesn't really describe anything Jewish. It means uh, it's a kind of Christianity that um, examines and, um, and often manipulates Jewish sources for their own purposes. But um, within that context, being exposed to authentic Jewish sources and rabbinic literature, uh, it led to a kind of a crisis of faith and questioning and exploration for Richard and Alpha and his family. And ultimately, uh, he determined rather than to do this as an individual to share the process that he was going through with his congregation. And while most of his congregation left him because of this, there are those that, um, that followed his lead in investigating, uh, the, uh, possibility of Judaism being right for them as well. And so ultimately, uh, there were three large families that completed their conversion processes on the same day, totaling 21 individuals. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't just convert an individual or a family. In some sense, I, I seeded a congregation. 
He really uh, did. Because yeah. there now is more than a million of Jews in this community where previously there was not. And um, and they gather together in celebration and in, in worship and in study and do all the things that we want Jews to be engaged in as, uh, as Jewish communal leaders. And so that's been something, uh, a real blessing to be a part of. We will talk much more with Rabbi Andy Green when we come back in a moment. Uh, it's quite a story here on Two Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in the Catalina foothills and northwest Tucson, celebrates a fabulous array of services, classes, and events this fall and winter. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. Progressive congregation in northwest Tucson and the foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the whole metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services or come on Facebook Live. Go to our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org. We welcome members and guests in our sanctuary in person. Call 520-276-5675. Religious school is open for school-aged children or grandchildren. Join us for Hebrew school, bar and bat mitzvah programs, Torah tykes, confirmation and teen programs, all in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org to sign up. Beit Simcha's services, classes, and events are open to everyone. Come in person Friday night at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. Shabbat morning services. Or come on our Facebook page, Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson. All of our Adult Education Academy classes are live and on Zoom at Beit Simcha. You can Access those through the website, BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org. Our wonderful religious school is available in blended format, some students live and some on Zoom. For more information about Beit Simcha, to come to services, religious school, Torah Tykes programs, bar and bat mitzvah, confirmation, high school programs, introductory Judaism classes, and all of our Adult Education Academy classes as taught live and on Zoom, and all of our services in person and on Facebook. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org, or call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675, BeitSimchaTucson.org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, in the fastest-growing Jewish congregation in all of Southern Arizona. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or a criticism, a or a kfell, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T-O-O JewishRadio18 at gmail. Or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through our website, 2JewishRadio.com, T-O-O JewishRadio.com. Streaming us from there, downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store as ridiculously popular Jewish podcast. Top 10 in America, according to Moment Magazine. Over 250,000 downloads on Podbean and on Spotify, too. 
post a rating, review to Jewish. We appreciate all of those. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen. 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, Our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. There has been a lot of talk uh, and in the media and various chatting circles about a Saudi Arabia-Israel normalization at some level or some kind of a deal that would uh, improve relations. Uh, this has been coming for a long time. Israel has been kind of approaching the... Or I guess both sides have been kind of approaching each other, whether it was Israel and Egypt, Israel and Saudi Arabia, as a kind of anti-Iranian alliance or something. I'm not quite sure what to call it. Um, but Saudi Arabia is a very interesting, complicated place, I would say. Absolutely. The, the deal to which you're referring is really a tripartite deal involve, involving the U.S. US right. making certain commitments, the Saudis making certain commitments, and the Israelis making certain commitments. And... It's not clear that any of the three countries is ready to make the requisite commitments. Why? First of all, pro a deal is weakening Iran, which is a common interest of all three countries, although for very different reasons. It's a shared interest among Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. Um Beyond that, it gets dicier. The Saudis and Israelis see a lot of business opportunities in normalizing relations on both sides. Uh, The Saudis have shown signs of warming over recent years. A couple of times they've granted overflight rights to Israeli aircraft and stuff that would have been unthinkable even five years ago. Right. So maybe the climate is ripe. Um, On the other hand, Each party to this potential agreement is incredibly suspicious of the other two parties. Um, (laughs) You know, the Israelis don't trust us when it comes to Iran, as has been made very clear over the past year or two. Um, 
And maybe they're right. We don't trust Israelis when it comes to intelligence sharing and other things because they actively spy on us and they don't behave like an ally. We don't trust the Saudis because of consistent human rights violations. And this latest thing of killing the journalist in Turkey. Yeah, Khashoggi, right. Right. I mean, that that was pretty damning. And that's just one of many things, most of which don't make the front pages. In the Saudi embassy. I mean, my goodness. Right. And then there's, you know, obviously the Saudis, like all other Arabs, but maybe to a different degree, are highly suspicious of Israel and tend to blame things like the floods in Libya on Israelis <laughs> or the Mossad or whatever. I mean, it's like supernatural. Um, but it seems to me that there's an unusually large amount of suspicion to overcome before any kind of deal is worked out. And part of the deal involves allowing the Saudis to use nuclear power for civilian reasons and keeping it closely under our control but the Israelis may not be fully comfortable with having another nuclear power in the region or potential nuclear power. So I I mean, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't put any money on this agreement, first of all, ever being signed, and second of all, ever being fulfilled. I mean, there, there might eventually be something on paper, but that doesn't mean it will happen in reality yeah it's hard to see um close relationship developing anytime soon there um uh, on the other hand I, I i'm not sure anybody would have expected the uae and bahrain and so on to be places that were israelis were flocking to as tourists now that there's an open situation so you know the world does change but uh i i certainly agree with you this is a it's going to be a hard bargain to strike. Right. It's a long shot. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tom. We'll talk next week. I look forward to it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week. Jewish humor your Bubby and Zadie knew brought to you by Two Jewish as a public service. And you know, since it's not the greatest time for Jewish humor, here's a classic story that is sadly once again relevant. A Jewish man is being beaten by Nazi brown shirts. Jew, they shout, who sucks the blood out of our society, who causes all the problems in the world. And the Jew, through battered lips, says, Jews and bicycle riders. The Nazis are puzzled. Why the bicycle riders, they ask. And the Jew answers, why the Jews? At a time when it becomes clear that massive levels of anti-Semitism are once again acceptable around the world, simply substitute Palestinian terrorists or BDS advocates or the Arab street for Nazis. The joke works that way too. That was the old Jewish joke of the week, special feature of Two Jewish just for you. You should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. This week we read the portion of Lech Lecha, which includes God's great commandment to Avram, Abram. Lech Lecha, Avicha. Leave, go from your country and your homeland and the house of your father to a land that I will show you. 
It's the beginning of monotheism, of the belief in one God. It is the beginning of Judaism, and it will prove to be the beginning of our connection to the land of Israel, too. What a dramatic and powerful moment. The fascinating thing about Lech Lecha is not that God commands Avram, Abram, later to be renamed Abraham, to leave everything he has known. After all, if he is to create a new religion and remake belief in our world, he will need to leave polytheism and a pagan society that doesn't recognize the concept of supreme justice and divine power, a corrupt, dishonest, and ethically failing civilization. If you want to live a life of goodness and blessing, sometimes you just got to leave home to do it. So Abraham picked up and left the sophisticated, morally challenged city-states of Babylon. He journeyed outward to find God and to found a new religion. That journey of differentiation was pivotal in all human history. If Abraham doesn't just do what God commands, there is no Judaism or Christianity or Islam or monotheism or Western civilization at all. But what's most fascinating about Abraham's actions in this week's Torah portion of Lech Lecha is that after God commanded him to go, he simply went without argument or controversy. That strikes me as a very un-Jewish approach. After all, the essence of Jewish culture seems to be argument and discussion. If you were directed to leave everything you'd ever known and told to move somewhere unspecified, wouldn't you at least complain a little? And don't think for a moment that Abraham is incapable of arguing with God. In fact, he will prove in next week's Torah portion that he will argue and bargain with God to the last degree, which he does trying to defend the few righteous people of Sodom and Gomorrah. No, something else is at work. The essential understanding that sometimes you just have to move on, leave what you know, and embrace the journey. In order to fully realize who you can become, You must first leave who you've been. It's an exciting, exhilarating, daunting prospect. Dangerous, yet essential. But if we can choose to take the first steps, we, like Abraham, may reap rich rewards. When we come back in a moment, our guest this morning, Rabbi Andrew Green from Phoenix, tells us how a pastor and a community of Messianic Christians in Sholo, Arizona, decided their way was not right, turned to Judaism, and completed conversion with him recently. Hear about this extraordinary story when we return in a moment on Two Jewish. We continue with our Two Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. President Joe Biden made a very fast trip to Israel last week, meeting with Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, assuring Israel of the U.S.'s profound and unwavering support in Israel's hour of trauma and need. In the course of Biden's visit, he also secured agreement to allow humanitarian aid trucks from Egypt to enter through the Rafah crossing, providing Hamas does not steal the contents of the trucks. President Biden also spoke to the U.S. from the Oval Office, an unusual event for the nation reserved for particularly important announcements. He insisted that U.S. support for Israel 
and Ukraine in their defense of civilization and freedom must be done, and that it's essential we do so for our own national reputation in the world. Biden's support for Israel at this time has been unwavering. His outrage palpable and his trip to Israel a sign of dedication to Israel. We are grateful for him at this time of greatest need. In other news, assailants threw two Molotov cocktails at a Berlin synagogue in the center of the German capital as anti-Semitic incidents in Germany have been rising following the recent violent war in the Middle East. Unknown persons, that is, unknown terrorists, of course, threw two Molotov cocktails from the street, the Kahal Adas Yisrael community wrote. Dozens of police officers investigated in front of the synagogue in the city's Mitte neighborhood, The whole street next to the building was cordoned off and blocked. Police said they were investigating an attempted serious arson in which two people approached the synagogue on foot at 3.45 a.m. through the firebombs, which burst on the sidewalk next to the building. The two people had their faces covered and ran away. A couple of hours later, when police were already investigating, a 30-year-old man approached the synagogue on a scooter, which he threw aside and began running toward the building. Police officers detained him. He resisted and shouted anti-Israel slogans. We are all shocked by this terrorist attack, Germany's leading Jewish group, the Central Council of Jews, said. Above all, the families from the neighborhood around the synagogue are shocked and unsettled. Words become deeds. Hamas's ideology of extermination against everything Jewish is having an effect in Germany. The building complex of the Kahala Das Yisrael community in the center of Berlin houses a synagogue, a kindergarten, a school, and a community center. Police also said there were riots overnight in Germany between Muslim immigrants and police in the city's New Köln and Kreuzberg neighborhoods in Berlin and at Berlin's landmark Brandenburg Gate. Several officers were injured there. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz strongly condemned the firebomb assault on the synagogue, saying we will never accept when attacks are carried out against Jewish institutions. Scholz, who was speaking to reporters during a trip to Egypt last week, said that Germany would not accept violent anti-Semitic protests, that the protection of Jewish institutions would be further increased. It outrages me personally. What some of them are shouting and doing, I'm convinced Germany's citizens are of the same opinion. We stand united for the protection of Jews in Germany, the Chancellor finished. Shlomo Afanasev, a rabbi and longtime member of Berlin's Kahala Das Yisrael community, said he was shocked by the attack. I go to synagogue there since 2006. I go with my kippah on. Until today, we felt very safe. Never thought something like this could happen in this area in the middle of Berlin. Following Hamas's brutal attack on Israel October 7th and the subsequent war in Gaza, police have increased security for Jewish institutions all over Germany. Still, Israeli flags that were flown as a sign of solidarity in front of city halls all over the country have on occasion been torn down and burnt. Several buildings in Berlin where Jews live had the Star of David painted on them. A historic synagogue in Tunisia was reduced to rubble last week amid mass rioting after an explosion in Gaza the Hamas blamed on Israel, but was, of course, actually caused by a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket, perhaps aimed at Israel, but one that certainly misfired and hit the hospital. Hundreds of people in Tunisia were filmed setting fire to the synagogue in the central Tunisian city of Al-Hama in the hours after the explosion. Video from Tunisia that circulated widely on social media showed people planting Palestinian flags and chipping away at the synagogue building's stone walls, all without police intervention. 
Users shared the video of the arson alongside a hashtag Palestine. There was heavy damage to the site, including to the fenced-off grave of the 16th-century Kabbalistic rabbi that was a historic pilgrimage site for some Jews. The incident has deprived Al-Khama of a key vestige of its Jewish past. It comes in Tunisia amid attacks on other Jewish and Israeli sites all around the world. Germany, France, Portugal, China, Australia. While Israel responds in the Gaza Strip following Hamas's horrible, vicious terror attack on Israel October 7th. Protests against Israel throughout the Arab world ramped up after the hospital explosion last week. Dozens of rioters targeted the Israeli embassy in Amman, Jordan. Riots also broke out in Palestinian areas of the West Bank. Israel and the U.S., of course, know with near certainty that the rocket was fired by Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Palestinian terrorists. The Al-Khama synagogue in Tunisia was not an active site of prayer. No Jews live in the city anymore, but the site is the tomb of the 16th century Kabbalist rabbi Yosef Ma'aravi. That same site was damaged during the Arab Spring protests in 2011. Those, of course, were not about Israel. The American Jewish Committee denounced the vandalism. We are horrified by the burning and destruction of the Al-Khama Synagogue in Tunisia, they said. They were monitoring the situation and in touch with Tunisian Jewish community leaders. Tunisia has about 1,000 Jews. They have also contended with a deadly terror attack earlier this year. A terrorist stormed a synagogue on the island of Jerba, killing five people, including two Jewish pilgrims who had traveled to the area from Israel and France. In response to the Jerba attack, Tunisia's president, Kais Syed, pledged he would increase security for the country's Jewish residents, but he didn't. The dictator Syed also used that occasion of the murders to attack and criticize Israel. Since the latest explosion of violence in Israel and Gaza, Tunisians have taken to the streets to support Palestinians. Tunisian school children have saluted the Palestinian flag. Syed has pledged to stand by Palestinians and snuffed out any talk of normalization with Israel, a path that four Arab countries took in 2020. And Ian Kinsler, the Jewish former MLB All-Star, Team Israel manager, and past guest of Two Jewish, as well as native of Tucson, wore a Team Israel jersey when he threw out the first pitch of the playoff game between the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros last week. As both player and manager, Kinsler has worn the jersey many times, the Israel jersey, the Team Israel jersey, and in a variety of different stadiums, but his choice to wear it at the game along with the Texas Rangers hat Ian Kinsler played his first eight years of his 14-year MLB career with the Rangers, was in solidarity with Israel as it deals with the fallout of Hamas's October 7th terrorist attacks. That first pitch clip was shared widely across social media. Fans and Team Israel players commended Ian Kinsler for his show of support. Ian Kinsler, in his own quiet way, has given the supporters of Israel a reason to feel very proud and have great respect. Team Israel General Manager Peter Kurtz, who recruited Kinsler to join Team Israel, said, There's no bigger platform today in America than the baseball playoffs. By taking advantage of that platform to proudly wear his Team Israel jersey, he got the honor of throwing out the first pitch. Ian Kinsler has said to the world, Israel means a lot to me. Israel's fighting a bitter and barbarian enemy. I support the people of Israel in this war. Kinsler played for Team Israel in the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. He got Israeli citizenship for that, and he managed Team Israel in the 2023 World Baseball Classic in Miami. Before Dean Creamer of the Baltimore Orioles, who was on Team Israel, pitched 
in the days just barely into the war, Kinsler said that he has been following the situation in Israel. It's a tough time, something hard to understand. I stand in solidarity with the people of Israel, especially the IDF, fighting to defend the country and its people. I know people have been recalled to service and pray for their safety and their families' peace of mind daily. Innocent lives are being lost. I pray for a quick resolution. Kinsler's display of support in the playoffs follows similar acts by Astros star Alex Bregman, also Jewish, who drew a Star of David on his hat during the last series, and Dean Creamer, who wore a Star of David necklace when he became the first Israeli-American to pitch in the postseason. And last week, the Phillies held a moment of silence for Israel prior to their playoff game against the Atlanta Braves, as did the Arizona Diamondbacks before their playoff game against the Los Angeles Dodgers that I attended in Phoenix. And that's the two Jewish news of Jews around the world. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome back to Two Jewish. Our guest this morning, Rabbi Andrew Green, is a congregational rabbi in the Phoenix area, Scottsdale. Um, conservative rabbi, trained in the conservative movement, and he had the extraordinary experience recently of completing the conversion of an entire community from Sholo, Arizona, to Judaism. Um so there are very specific requirements, uh, really in every movement, but certainly in the conservative movement, for people to convert to Judaism. Um, did you tell us how you worked with this community to make sure that people were sincere, that it worked for them, and so on? Well, of course. So first, everyone that completed the conversion, with the exception of those that are young children who did so uh, with their families, um, Every one of them completed online the course of the Miller Introduction to Judaism program uh, of American Jewish University, which is taught uh, by various rabbis, um, but it's the curriculum that I and most, I think, conservative movement clergy in North America use, and, um, and it includes 18 courses 
that focused on uh, Jewish history and, and Bible and literature all the way through uh, the modern period, as well as uh, life cycle practice, the Jewish calendar, Shabbat and festivals, um, and, and other rituals, um, kashrut, dietary practice, and a number of other uh, kind of core elements of what it means holistically to become and to be and to understand Judaism. Uh, and every one of my, uh, my converts completed this course. And frequently, over the course of the course, they would send me text messages or call me and ask me questions. And then I want to share that, um, that we also, of course, uh, interviewed them at the base dean, that, um, that we, um, ensured that all of the males had Hatsapata Ambrit, uh, or would have had Mila if they were not already circumcised, and that, um, that they all, uh, had the chance to individually sit before the Beitian, uh, and be questioned before, uh, immersing in the mikvah and committing to, uh, to Judaism. And, uh, we engage with them, and, and the truth is that, that, these individuals are, are, in my impression, deeply sincere in their commitment uh, to living a Jewish life and to Jewish learning. Um, that compared to many other converts that I have engaged with, um, more actively engaged in synagogue, albeit remotely, um, participating in just about every Shabbat and festival service uh, through our live stream, and um, and frequently asking. Uh, questions and, and kind of deeply exploring the proper way one to um, to live a Jewish life, but also to be respectful of uh, of Judaism while not yet Jewish, and asking questions concerning the appropriateness, for example, of wearing a talit or you know what things they could they could and should do or should not do at these different stages of their growth and development, recognizing the way in which as previously Messianic Jews, um, they had appropriated Jewish tradition. So how much of this work was done uh, on Zoom or other technology, and how much of it was done in person? Every, uh, so many of the individuals from Sholo drove in on for various weekends to be with me in person at Congregation Orzio in my congregation in Scottsdale, right. about a three-hour commute. Each way, I might add, it's not it's not round trip. Yeah, and and I'll I'll say I also have had it up there. I went up there um, at the beginning of August. Yeah, of course you went there in the beginning of August. It's hot in August, so I did I did not only to escape the heat, but also uh, to be with them for um, and to discuss of their course. journey and what was coming and yeah. to answer questions because this community is larger than just the 21 individuals that I converted. There are many others who are on this path as well and who are kind of dipping their toes into uh, the waters of Jewish wisdom and are um, and many who are interested in eventually taking the plunge and are now enrolling in the same kind of online courses that these individuals took and for whom, if they reach that point, I will gladly be their sponsoring rabbi and arrange for their beit din and mikvah and hatzapat dambrit and the other uh, elements of formal conversion. I also require all of my uh, converts to uh, write uh, personal statements regarding their journey. Of course. And, uh, yeah. So it's such emotional and personal sharing um, that was shared with me 
from really the the souls of these remarkable people sharing of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'll also share, uh, let's see, we're interviewing, you're interviewing me uh, during Sukkot right now. Right. And uh, actually just yesterday, myself and one of my colleagues from the synagogue woke up very early in the morning to drive out and share some some time Sukkot with um, with our congregants in Sholo. Oh, because nice. every single one of the individuals who have converted, and though they have their own independent, you know, Torah learning center, and um, and program there. From that place, they stream our services and participate in our community. And every one of the individuals that I converted that are part of this community have joined my congregation. And so while they are doing something, in a certain sense, independent, they are also deeply rooted to a well-established Jewish community um, here in Scottsdale in a, uh, and, and have all the access that that involves. And so myself and, and my senior educator at the synagogue, we drove up and we brought um, we brought some cedarim and uh, additional. They had a lulav and etrog there, but we brought a number more sets of the arba meaning and did a full week weekday cholamoet davening. Nice with hallel and everything, and everything, and That's with um, with hallel and waving the lulav and giving people the opportunity uh, to do that in the proper way and dwelling together in the sukkah. And one of the reasons we were so excited to come on Sukkot in particular is because when we were doing the Bate Din, um, you know, Rosh Chodesh Elul a couple, a month and a half ago, um, one of the things that, that was memorable for myself and the others on the Bate Din is that when we were with the children, among the questions we would ask them individually about one, you know, do you understand that you're becoming Jewish? Is this something you're comfortable with? You know, and, and there were children of a variety of ages as young as three years old that were among these converts to, um, to in their teens. But um, but especially the younger children, we ask, would ask, you know, what's your favorite Jewish ritual or Jewish observance or Jewish holiday? And just about every one of them says Sukkot, <laughs> because in this, um, the, having visited the Torah Learning Center in Sholo, in, in rural areas, land is affordable. And so they have a lot of empty land, and they set up campsites. And over the course of Sukkot, almost the whole community moves there on campus and stays overnight in tents or in re- recreational vehicles and um, and eats together in the sukkah and um, and does different fun and joyful activities together. And so the kids are doing karaoke or uh, a costume party, whatever they're doing. Boy, but it seems like they're doing a better job observing Sukkot than most of the rest of us, to be honest. Yes, Outdoors and camping out. Awesome. They are so joyful during this year, and it was such a delight to be with them. Absolutely. And, um, and to be able to share some of the more traditional elements of Sukkot that they might not have felt the confidence to do on their own. I, I want to thank Rabbi uh, Andrew Green for a great visit here on Two Jewish and a great story. Tell us where people can find out more about you and maybe about this Sholo community as well. You can find out more uh, online, both in the various articles that have been written by the Jewish Telegraphic Agency and the Arizona Jewish News. Um, and also, you can reach out to um, to me on social media. Uh, we have and uh, FOCW Foundation of the Word, which is the community in Cholo. Both have robust social media presence on uh, on Facebook. Uh, we're also on Instagram, um, and of course at our website, um, the I think zfotw.org for um, for FOCW and Cholo and Congregation Orsion org for uh, my community in Scottsdale. Listen, uh, this will air after Sukkot and Simchat Torah and all the Chagim are over, but I want to say uh, 
Chag Sameach, and uh, may you have a wonderful holiday and uh, look forward to meeting you in person sometime. I would love that, Chag Sameach. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest. Get a final musical play out. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Two Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Lynn Glodner, podcaster, publisher, and author of a new novel about a woman becoming Orthodox and much more. It's called Woman of Valor. Please join us at Congregation Beit Simcha every Friday night for services on Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, too, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, live in person and on our Facebook page. And this Friday night, very special, a downtown Shabbat at 7 p.m. at the Jewish History Museum on Stone Avenue, the original site of Judaism in all of Arizona. Our play out this morning is from Ofra Chaza, the late, great Israeli singer. Her song, Chai, We Live. My friends, may you have a Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week, a week we pray profoundly of justice. Am Yisrael Chai. Sponsored by Two Jewish Radio Programs, Tucson, Arizona.